Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Lead paint was banned in Chicago in 1978, but it's still in 99% of homes built before then. This is Reset, and I'm Sasha Ann Simons. A new investigation finds that most Chicago homes contain dangerous levels of lead and that many children aren't being regularly tested for it. We'll learn more about this problem from Paris Schutz. He's a co-anchor and correspondent of WTTW's Chicago Tonight. Paris, what made you look into this issue? Well, really, uh, a a mother contacted me kind of out of the blue uh, saying she had turned everywhere. Her son had been lead poisoned in, in her own apartment. And she was looking for answers. She couldn't get lawyers to take her case because she was thinking about suing uh, the landlord. And so she went to the media. She contacted me. I gave her a call, and we talked about her son's story. It was tragic. And from there, I just kind of wanted to explore this issue because I know this has been a thing for decades. Yeah. And it's been reported periodically because I – like anyone else thought, oh, well, you know, it's been banned since 1978. The big issue now is lead water pipes, so this is no longer an issue. Turns out, not at all. According to CDPH, it's still the number one lead hazard, especially for children. Well, you mentioned uh, her son was lead poisoned in their apartment. So help us understand, um, bring us all on the same page. How are people being exposed to lead paint in their home? This two-year-old boy, uh, at his 18-month checkup, she noticed that he was acting kind of catatonic. He wasn't responding to his name. He hadn't developed Normally, he wasn't talking. He didn't say any words. Mm -hmm. He had some behavioral issues. So uh, they went to the checkup. They determined that he had a blood level, lead level of 76 micrograms per deciliter. So to put that in a context, CDC considers a dangerous level anything above five. This guy, he had 76. 76, wow. 76. So this, they rushed him to the emergency room. It's extremely dangerous. That's considered lead poisoning. So what happened then is, and this is what happens in every case, the, it triggers an investigation by the CDPH. They send inspectors over to inspect their apartment. They found lead hazards everywhere. It's an older apartment. There was chipping paint in hallways, in doorways, in windowsills, uh, all over the apartment. And it was determined that he was probably ingesting dust and eating paint chips mm. over the span of a year, um, which which tells you that that exposure was for a long time. And that's See, that's the danger for kids because, you know, you can't you can't watch toddlers 24-7. They're crawling on the floor. You can certainly try. But... Yeah, you can try. They're putting their hands on the floor and then they're putting it in, in their mouth. They're and touching any and everything. Anything. And beyond paint chips, it's what I was told is dust, too. People track dust in, you know, from the hallway or something like that. It's on your floor. The kid puts their hand on the floor, puts it in their mouth, yeah. and there you go. Who is most at risk, Paris, of, of the elevated lead levels in the home? Absolutely kids. Yeah. You know, and, and it's mandated that kids get lead tested uh, at one, two, and three years old. So what we also find was less than 50% of kids are actually getting tested at all of those ages. Mm-hmm. And it's when you go to a checkup, the pediatrician is supposed to give you that test. Um, and so... That's that's why it's so necessary because lead, it damages everything. Okay, so if you're a little kid, it it damages your neurological function. It gets into your brain potentially. It it stops your development. Uh, one doctor told me that uh, even a lead level of ten that can impact your IQ. So if you're exposed wow. to that level of lead, 
it can it can diminish your IQ as Let a little kid. Let alone 76 with this poor yeah, child. Yeah. Uh, the Chicago Department of Public Health finds lead hazards in about 99% of residences that right. were built before 1978 when that ban was put in place. Also, in many low-income communities and in, in communities of color, uh, between 30 and 40% of, of residents in, in older homes, yeah. they test positive. They tested positive. So that floored me when I, and I, I, I emailed them after I interviewed them, and I said, can you just tell me, you know, what percentage of these pre-1978 homes, they, they floored me when they said 99%. Now, put that into context. Drive around Chicago. That's the vast majority yeah. of the housing stock, especially apartments. And you talk about this child eating, like, the chips of paint and, and just yeah. the, the dust. It Can breathing the dust yeah. in? Yes. Okay. Bre- breathing the dust in. Uh, uh, so not just putting the dust in their not, mouth. Probably not as directly as ingesting it. Uh, but what one advocate told me was... Um, a, enough dust that, to fill a packet of sugar, if you ingest that, that's poisoning. That's potentially wow. poisoning. A packet of sugar. That, it just takes that much. Healthcare providers, they're required by the city and state to regularly test children for lead. Why is this falling through the cracks? That's a good question. I didn't get a great answer for that because, again, it's just incumbent on the pediatrician at a checkup. So when you go to your year, 18-month checkup, they're supposed to be giving you lead tests. And for whatever reason... Different providers are, are, are just not doing it. And, and as I also understand... I'm thinking I mean, back at it. I'm like, I don't know if my kids have ever right. gotten a I mean, it's, it's supposed to be a requirement. So, I mean, the f- parents... We, we just young, had a checkup last week. Yeah, parents of young children, yeah. I think they just they just need to ask their pediatrician, make sure you give my kid a lead test because it's not happening in, in 50% of cases here. And it's supposed to... it's supposed to do, They're supposed to do it at one, two, and three years old. But, you know, um, if you have a six-month-old, you know infant or whatever that's i would think that that's kind of scary too that they're at risk and you probably want to test them too you won't know so for your investigation you you talked with elena long she's got this two-year-old son uh says that she noticed something was wrong at that 18 month old checkup as you mentioned here's a little bit from uh, elena he wasn't talking he wasn't making any eye contact and i did notice that he was like eating things that were not food it really hurts because you know he should be able to do what other kids are doing and he hasn't been doing them yet so what else can you share about Little Jedi's story? Yeah. I mean, and, we, and how he's doing now. I'm we so met curious. Him. So he still has a blood lead level, according to Elena, of 17. So that's still three times over the limit considered dangerous. And it's going down. down. It's going down. He's he, What she said is he's in different kind of therapy every single day. We met him, very spirited two-year-old. He just turned two. Um, obviously, you know, attention issues. He's running around. He's not. He, he can't really focus on anything really long. Still not really verbally communicating um, and, you know, they're worried about that, whether he'll be able to develop that, whether he'll be able to sort of develop independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, very sweet kid. You know, normal kid in any, every other sense, playing with his toys, fascinated by the phone. He was yeah. fascinated by our camera uh, when we went in there. Um, but clearly, you, you know, and, and the family's worried about, obviously, medical expenses. They started to go fund me for, for their medical bills. They're telling me that Medicaid covers a lot of this therapy, but it's – it's it's full time therapy mm-hmm. basically five days a week. And you also reached out to the the family's previous landlord. Yes. About yes. Um, paint. Yeah, levels. they moved out of the apartment right away. So the CDPH once they do their investigation, they say, okay, now you got to clean it up. Now you can move back in. But this unit was never really mitigated, so they just moved out. What response did you get from the landlord? The landlord basically, first of all, the landlord never uh, informed them of the lead hazards. And per federal law, there uh, there's Federal law says that you do have to inform you. You have to give your tenant a brochure basically saying here are, are the potential lead hazards. 
And, and the landlord told me, like, well, first of all, the lead issue goes before he owned the place because it's a 100-year-old building. And I said, well, why didn't you inform them of it? He said, oh, I didn't know there were any hazards. So and then I, I hear from tenants' organizations, this happens all the time, that it's, you know, it's easier for a landlord to plead ignorance on this because obviously it's really expensive to abate a lead problem. Mm-hmm. And if you just plead ignorance, then you don't have to inform the tenant and, and you don't get in trouble. And this is the other prong here of this story is there isn't a lot of recourse for renters. Insurance, homeowners insurance that landlords carry tend to have a lead paint exemption. So it doesn't cover lead paint issues. And that means it makes it very difficult to actually sue for damages if you get poisoned in your home. So there's this lack of of testing among children. Uh, On top of that, there's no system to proactively inspect or abate at-risk units. And that, I think that's the debate here, and I'm, I'm doing follow-up stories that's going to focus on what, what the solution is. Advocates, environmental advocates have said, we need to have the city proactively inspect all of these at-risk units because they know exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. Pre-1978, if it's pre-1940, it's even more likely because that's when the paint really starts to chip, uh, especially around doorways and windows. So we need to go in and, and proactively inspect and perhaps abate. So... What's the issue here? This is hundreds of thousands of units we're talking about. According to Dr. Allison Arwadi at CDPH, if they were going to do citywide inspection, proactive inspection like this, it would it would it would um, constitute the need for 600 new inspectors that they would have to hire. Yeah. And she says, you know, it's it's just impossible to do. So what Arwadi says is, let's let's do a targeted approach. Let's let's go with the most at-risk units. We know they're going to be in low-income neighborhoods, in homes that are not well kept up. Let's have inspectors go into those units right away before they're rented out and do proactive inspection. And then the next question is, well, then what? who mitigates it? Who abates it? To abate the lead, really, you have to replace windows and doorways yeah. and repaint. I mean, but repainting is not the whole ball game. So who pays for that? Let's hear a little bit from Dr. Arwady. Sure. My biggest interest is making sure that proactive inspections that we're doing start in those highest risk places. We've looked at the proposal that city council is considering at the moment. You know, we really do think as projected, it would take something like 600 inspectors. And there are, that's more people than work at the entire Chicago Department of Public Health right now. So it sounds like solving this would take a lot of money. Yeah. And then a lot of resources, right? right? How much of a priority uh, is lead paint on the city's to-do list, Paris? Well, Dr. Arwady, it has been a priority of hers, and she made the point that, you know, lead water pipes are in the news, and as they should be, but still the biggest risk is lead paint. And they have minimal resources, she said. They've done they've done heat maps, you know, where they've targeted where the most at-risk units are, but they don't have the money or the funding to go in and do what she wants to do there and proactively inspect the most at-risk units. So there is an ordinance in city council proposal uh, uh, sponsored by 33rd Ward Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez-Sanchez, which would require every five years periodic inspections, just no matter what. Yeah, for, um, for all buildings built before all buildings. 1978. All buildings in general, but especially priority of those built before 1978 for lead, but also for mold and, and termites and, and rats and, and, and all those things. And then the, according to the ordinance, a renter would not be able to rent it out until the lead problem is mitigated again. Mm-hmm. So it's expensive to do that. There is some federal funding. So right now, I mean, let's back up. There... Nothing happens until someone reports a positive test, you know? Right. So when they report the positive test, then the process starts of, 
you know, the CDPH gets involved and they start to mitigate it and there's potential federal funding mm-hmm. for lower income landlords. But this takes it really takes a long time. It's a process. This poisoning of this young boy happened five months ago and the landlord said the mitigation has not happened yet. And I said, why not? Because they're waiting for CDPH to help them with it. And it just it goes on and on and on, mm. you know, Dr. Already did acknowledge uh, the problem being widespread. Right. right? But she, she did say that there has been major progress. Yes, there has been. What else is she talking about? So, you know, again, for, for context, um, according to CDPH data, less than two percent of children right now are are testing positive, you know, of that elevated blood lead level. But again, we mentioned Less than 50%, fewer than 50% of kids are getting regularly tested. So it's not a complete number. That number is down from 70% mm-hmm. in 1996. So 70% of all children they tested in 1996, 25 years ago, tested positive for elevated levels of lead in their blood. And we know all the problems that lead leads to, behavioral, cognitive. There's even a, a study that linked it to crime. Because of the behavioral issues, you know, mm. you have attention issues, you have cognitive problems, you don't do well in school, you know, maybe you get caught up in, in crime or drugs or something like this. I mean, all of these things are connected. So consider the fact that 70 percent of kids in 1996 tested positive. positive. We don't have the full picture now because not all kids are testing, but we know that it has improved drastically. So what should people do if they are worried about lead levels in their home? They They have to call, you know. The Department of Public Health, basically, and and have an inspector come over or, I mean, start with their landlord. And here's the other issue I'm told. People are scared to contact their landlord, especially low income or undocumented residents. They don't want to, like, get on the bad side of their landlord. So they're scared if they notice paint chipping, especially in windowsills, then they have they have to somehow get it inspected, Mm. whether it's by the Department of Public Health, by the landlord. um, And, you know, the. I mean, they have to start by cleaning up the area in the interim. Any resources available from from the city or the federal government? There are federal resources to landlords to abate it. But really, the only thing I found, it's like they're brochures, you know, and and CDPH has a website where they have lots of really good information. But you have to as a tenant, you have to know to go Google and click on their website and click on the lead part of it. So there's brochures, there's data, but. Really, there's not much else You've for the renter. Digging. Yeah, I imagine this isn't the last of your investigating this. No, there's, we're gonna. There's more to uncover. Yeah, here. this week, maybe tonight, we're gonna we're gonna do a follow up on just the different proposals. You know, whether you proactively inspect all these units or not, and then I do want to look at Cook County in general. I mean, obviously, we have suburbs that have lots of apartments, lots of old apartments. What's mm-hmm. the status there? So, and then you know, studies have been about CPS in the past. CPS schools paint was chipping. From the walls. I think we need to look at what the situation is in CPS right now. Yeah. That's Paris Schutz, WTTW Chicago Tonight co anchor and correspondent. Thank you for stopping by. Hey, you bet. It's my pleasure. That episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Stephanie Kim and edited by Brenda Ruiz and Linnea Dominic. If you like what you're hearing here on the podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.